Hello, everyone. In this episode of ADE Spotlight Podcast, I had the pleasure of speaking with Mr. Dave Cruikshank. Mr. Cruikshank is an elected member of the Council of the Village of Holly, Michigan, a village which neighbors my hometown. Mr. Cruikshank was elected to the council in 2014 and so is more than halfway through his initial four-year term. I first uh, became acquainted with Dave when I attended a town hall he presided over wherein he discussed the current laws regarding medical marijuana facilities and licensing in the state of Michigan and how it might impact on the village of Holly. I attended that town hall really just out of curiosity uh, to see uh, what I might learn and, and what the current uh, legislative landscape was. And it was in that town hall I found Dave to be uh, very uh, well-informed, certainly, uh, very open, uh, very willing to listen to criticism and address criticism, uh, but at the same time being pretty firm in what his positions were. I learned quite a bit in that town hall, and I thought to myself that this would be a great topic for a podcast. I figured if I learned uh, much from him that uh, some of the listeners to the podcast may learn some things as well. So I invited him on and we talked about uh, the current uh, legislative environment uh, as it regards to medical marijuana here in Michigan and also uh, other states and, uh, and federal law. And we discussed, uh, we got around to discussing uh, legal recreational marijuana and the conversation revolving around that and a number of other things. And uh, I found Dave to be very, very engaging and, as I said, well-informed. I think there are some things uh, that we discussed that are really going to elicit some comments. I think there are going to be some things that listeners to the podcast will agree with and things that listeners to the podcast may disagree with. And I guess I think that's the point uh, of inviting uh, people like Dave on. Um, I enjoyed the conversation. I think you will too. Uh, and I hope to have Dave on uh, a future podcast episode. Thank you for listening. Dave, I want to uh, give you a little bit of background about why uh, I, I was excited to have you on this on this podcast. Uh, as you know, uh, I, I attended a town hall meeting you did uh, several weeks ago in the village of Holly, Michigan, wherein you were discussing the legislation in Michigan relative to medical marijuana licensing and facilities and, and, and all of that. And, you know, I, I knew... Uh, by virtue of what we do here at ADE, I know uh, about medical marijuana, but it was interesting to me uh, the way you explained the uh, various types of licenses that were available and the rules that went along with each license. I really didn't know it in that detail. And so I really appreciated that, uh, you know, you took the time to do that. And uh, I thought um, it was, this would be a great idea to invite you on. And so you can educate other people as well, just like you educated me. Um, so I want to talk about that a little bit today, about uh, f starting with the basic, what is medical marijuana? Uh, it is legal here in the state of Michigan, but it's not legal in every state in the United States. And is it, are the laws different in the state of Michigan versus some other places? And you may, you may have some knowledge about that. And I also uh, eventually maybe want to swing around to talk about um, legal recreational marijuana. And uh, you know, I think there's some uh, interesting information coming out of some of the states that already have legal recreational marijuana. 
specifically Colorado. And I believe you referenced this, and I, and I know that I had read this. Uh, one of the fears, as I understand it, about legal recreational marijuana was that uh, states like Colorado would have the youth would have more access and, and youth uh, use of marijuana would go up. And my understanding is in Colorado that's not necessarily true. But on the other hand, uh, maybe perceived risk of marijuana uh, as a harmful substance is going down. Uh, and, and we are seeing that in the conversations we're having with our partners. So our partners around the country uh, have varying opinions about uh, medical marijuana and legal recreational ma- marijuana, as I'm sure um, you've run into as well. So that's kind of the, the background for this conversation. Uh, but really, sure. uh, I think this would be a success if you could just sort of educate folks like you've educated me. I think you've done, um, as your role on the, on the Village Council, I think you've done a lot of research. Uh, you clearly uh, have a passion for this subject, and you were able to really uh, communicate that. So let's start with just the basics. Let's talk about sure. what is medical marijuana, what is the role of medical marijuana, and then how did the state of Michigan get involved in that? Sure. Okay, so let's, uh, let's step back a little bit. So the what we're talking about now in Michigan with medical marijuana is there's been a change in the law that was enacted in December of 2016. Um, that law is not in effect yet, and it's supposed to go into effect December of this year in 2017. Uh, so that we all know that the Medical Marijuana Act was, uh, you know, passed overwhelmingly by the voters in 2008. Uh, that law, when it was passed, you know, it was kind of, I wouldn't say at the start of the industry, because like Colorado, the, the western states kind of really started the trend in the early 2000s of passing the Medical Marijuana Acts in their uh, own states. But, you know, we're kind of on the leading edge, because as it stands right now, there's like 21 states that have a some sort of a Medical Marijuana Act, and there's about nine states currently that have recreational marijuana. So to define medical marijuana is, in a broad brushstroke, is still the same marijuana that you would either eat, ingest, um, you know, smoke, or however you choose to do it. It's just you have a card now that makes it official that says you, you know, in air quotes, need this product. Um, so there's not anything necessarily different. Um, the only difference that there would be is that there are products that contain THC in them, which is the, you know, the psycho, psychotropic uh, portion of marijuana that actually gives you the, you know, euphoric feeling or being high or those kinds of things. And then there's a separate thing in marijuana called CBD, which is cannabinoids. Um, that portion of the marijuana is what people are latching on to as far as medical reasons because that does have, um, you know, medicinal qualities in it. And so much so that the government even has a patent on some of the cannabinoids, the CBD. Um, CBD is, um, you know, what you would find in edibles or candies, or um, you can even have, uh, you can even smoke a CBD, I think in like a vapor form, that uh, gives you that, um, you know, medicinal quality without giving you the high. So you may feel some sort of a euphoric feeling, but it's like, Nothing. It'd be almost like if you took like a, an opiate, like a Vicodin or, you know, a Percocet or something along those lines. So uh, that's where medical marijuana kind of stands today versus recreational. But in reality, it's kind of the same form. It's just, you know, like fishing where you fish without a license, you're, you know, illegal. But now that you have a fishing license, you can fish what you want with, you know, the government's permission. Oh, that's a great analogy. 
Is there a, um, a range of ailments that medical marijuana might be appropriate for? Yeah, I, it's a, there's a lot that comes in there, but all the studies that when I've been researching is more along the lines of nerve damage uh, related, you know, uh, injuries. And that goes from, you know, Parkinson's, MS, uh, autoimmune diseases. And my wife actually has Crohn's disease. Um, and what I've researched from that is, is CBD has a great effect uh, on uh, Crohn's, colitis, those kind of uh, bowel-related uh, issues. And uh, because there's a lot of cannabinoid receptors in the gut, so that uh, has worked wonders uh, from what I've read in research studies, and it's starting to come out with that. And uh, I think the toughest part with all of it is, you know, we're sort of in the gray area where studies are starting to come out, but it's super expensive to do them, especially since the federal government has, you know, put marijuana as a Schedule One drug, which puts it on par with, you know, cocaine and heroin and, and those serious hard drugs uh, that have, you know, high addictive qualities to them. And uh, so for universities or science facilities that test this stuff, it's extremely expensive uh, to test those. And I think, you know, there was, the government just actually reiterated that it would be a Schedule One drug just in the past 12 months. And uh, that was a bummer for a lot of the science testing facilities because they wanted to be able to start doing those testings on it. I remember that. There was some sense that... Uh with all of the momentum of the, of the conversation about marijuana, that it might be moved from a Schedule One drug, but in fact, as you say, it wasn't. Uh, how many states did you say have uh, legal medical marijuana now? Uh, it was, the last I checked, it was 21. So it's like 21, 22, somewhere around there, but it's definitely over 20. I know that for sure. And uh, there are more states that are, are looking to do that? Yeah, there's the ones that are kind of popping up now um, as I'm looking is uh, Texas is one of the huge places that they're really pushing for it now. Um, I believe Florida is in that realm as well. But, you know, it, typically the uh, liberal-leaning states are the ones that have already passed those rules. So California, Colorado, Oregon, Washington, and then over into the New England states as well, the New Hampshire, the Vermonts, and those kinds of things. Um, and they've even started on, you know, they've done with medical marijuana, so then they've moved on to the recreational part of it, you know, uh, if only for the revenue, I would expect. Yeah. That seems to be sort of a logical step. States that approve yeah. medical marijuana first and then to begin discuss uh, recreational marijuana, which may, maybe we'll come back to that. I want to I want to stick with the uh, medical marijuana for, for just a few more minutes. but Sure, sure. So, so Michigan, I guess, I, I'm sorry, just to kind of continue on that subject, I know it's popping in my mind. Uh, Michigan, it, we had we passed it in 08. That law was very great, where there was not a lot of uh, regulation or what could happen or how do you transport it, what happens with a dispensary, is it only caregivers? So this update, I, I would say, is the best way to call it that just passed last year, uh, is to give a lot more clarity to that because, you know, those CBD oils or the edibles were not covered in there. In actuality, neither was a dispensary. So any dispensary that operates under the uh, under Michigan today, as it stands, is illegal under the law. So they, when that law was passed, it was only through a caregiver. So you could only get it from a guy that's growing it personally, uh, and you are his patient. So there has to be an established relationship there that you have to have a caregiver, and a caregiver has to have a patient in order to grow the plant. So this update to the law covers edibles. It covers transportation now. Uh, it covers dispensaries and, and those kinds of things. So this is, you know, a lot more clarity to the original law. 
and then uh, you know allows for economic you know activity to happen so that uh, out of the open so that you know uh, towns can have economic growth by people purchasing buildings for doing any one of the five licenses that are now available and then um, you know allowing the individual to either have a caregiver or go to a dispensary when you say uh, Dave the new law you're talking about what was enacted in December of 2016 correct yeah it's called act 281 is the law um, and that was passed in December of 2016 and they put a one-year hold on it because they're now bringing in the uh, Michigan Licensing of Regulatory Affairs, the LARA board, that uh, you know now regulates alcohol and those kinds of things to take over this and manage that because of all the licensing now that will go through. There's tons of fees for someone to get started. There's actually a pretty high barrier to entry for an individual if they wanted to, you know, get involved in this new, um, you know, market that's emerging. One of the things I learned from you at your uh, town hall was that there were, uh, and again, you can correct me if I'm wrong because I may be, but five different types of licenses and individuals could not own multiple types of licenses. Yeah, Uh, there's some language in the bill where they did not want, um, you know, the entire pipeline to be owned by an individual. So, you know, uh, person A has a grow house, they have a testing facility, they have a transportation unit, and they have a dispensary. They wanted... Um, to have that kind of market competition. They wanted, you know, the idea that anybody could necessarily get involved if they wanted to and only in whatever license they wanted to. So one of the rules, like if you're a transporter is a specific license and you're literally just taking the raw product from a grower and either transporting it to a dispensary or a testing facility, you know, but you cannot have either one of those licenses if you're a transporter. So they uh, put those you know, regulations in place. Just to, just as a, a reminder, the five licenses are for growing, uh, processing, transporting, dispensing, and I'm missing one. Uh, the testing, so science testing. facility testing. And that would be more along the lines of, um, you know, testing the THC and CBD content in the plant and, um, you know, giving the actual information because the, the edibles and those kinds of things, they all have to be labeled with how much. Sort of like a beer, you know, the alcohol content, how much is in each one. Right. So that's what they would be doing. So these are the five types of licenses. And there's, Correct. Uh, without getting too deep in, into the weeds here, no pun intended, but the, <laughs> the, um, there's, there's sort of regulations about who and how many of these licenses that you can have. Well, not necessarily the ones that an individual. So if you wanted to open a grow house, you have the option of three different versions. There's a 500 plant, 1,000 plant, and 1,500 plant grow house. Uh, so you could uh, pick one of those licenses, but there's no limit on to how many grows you can have. So, you know, depending on the municipality, if they elect, you know, enacted one or two or three, and you wanted to have all three and you were awarded all three from that municipality, that's not a problem. And then if there was another town where you wanted to do the same thing, you could potentially have, you know, multiple grow houses in multiple municipalities. But, um, you know, you're not allowed to own the dispensary on the other side of things either. Okay. Okay. Understood. But some you can mix. I do want to be clear on that. There are, um, and I'm not sure which ones, but I know that that transporter was um, called out specifically as not being, you know, the gateway to A and B. That they uh, wanted to keep that one separate, but you, I think you probably could own a, you know, let's just say a science testing facility and then a grow house. 
when I was doing a little bit of homework for this conversation, I ran across an article that was posted on MLive.com, which is a, mm-hmm. for those that may not be familiar with it, it's, an, it's a new source and kind of specific to Michigan news. Um, and the headline of it that caught my attention was all in one medical marijuana facilities to be allowed under new rules. And uh, is that uh, is that something, uh, is that a revision to that 2016 law or it, it, is that just sort of a rehash of, of this law that was passed in 2016? The fact that um, they, they would be able to do these things in the same physical location, is that something pr- prior my to my understanding, the- they're not allowed to in the same place. So I, I, I'm going to plead naiveness to that, but I'm not 100% sure on that. Yeah. But for, as I understand it, you are not allowed to have those mix in the same you know, address or location. Yeah, that's that's I that's what I thought you had said in your in your town hall, and at least that's what I I took away from it, and so that's why this sort of this headline on M Live caught my attention, and this was you know just late September, and um, I don't think the, uh, there wasn't uh, uh, it just says that the Lara board which you mentioned uh, announced its intent to allow multiple licenses to operate out of one facility if there were certain conditions, so I guess. Uh, I guess that's something that's that's being considered. There are some things that the Lara board that was created has only met a handful of times, and they have some things on their side of it that they need to button up before December. And that's where all of that stuff is coming out in the news now about, you know, do do they force dispensaries to close, reapply, and then open it back up, or will they get like a temporary, you know, occupancy so that they can still operate and give care to the patients? Um, and then go through the process, and if they're you know approved, obviously continue on. But if they're denied, then you know they'd have to shut down. So there are some of those things that they need to figure out on the Lara side of things. But you know most of the municipalities have 95% of all the data they need to make a decision today. You know you brought up something there that that I thought was interesting, that there are dispensaries in operation as we speak today that may yeah. be forced uh, to close in December of 2017? Is yeah, that, is that so correct? a lot of the individuals that I would follow on social media that are heavily involved with that, uh, they're, they're going to all these Lara meetings, and what's being discussed there is they want the dispensaries to close um, so that they can you know, get the process ironed out, so to speak, and then have the dispensaries open back up which would probably be like a spring, late spring. So we're talking your March, April timeframe, um, but they want them to close by November 15th is what the rumbling is. I don't know if they've made an official decision on that yet, but that was the idea. And so a lot of individuals are up in arms because they only get their products from a dispensary now. So what are they gonna do? Are they gonna stock up and then violate another law because you're only allowed to have X amount of you know, raw marijuana or edibles on you? And then, you know, do we go to caregivers, which caregivers now may not have enough product to supply to patients because obviously it takes a while to grow a plant, you know, whichever plant you're talking about. And so they're, they're unprepared. So it's really going to kind of upend the industry uh, as it stands right now. But they are not in compliance with the current law that still exists, you know, pre-December 2017. Oh, okay. So you are a a council member in the village of Holly, Michigan, which for those listening to to this podcast, um, I guess they need to know the village of Holly is 
I would say it's fairly small, maybe 2,000 people, 2,000 residents in the village. Uh, the village actually has uh, just over 6,000. So I think it's like 6,200. And then you include Holly Township, which has another 6,500-ish uh, individuals. So when you talk about Holly, you can say 12 to 13,000 individuals at any given time. So what does this all practically mean for a, a village like Holly, or really, I guess any municipality? It, 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 we're talking. I guess for now we're talking specifically about Michigan because of, of these Michigan laws. Mm -hmm. But what could this potentially mean for uh, the village of Holly, either on on the positive side or on the negative side? Yeah. So you know, the positives. I guess I could start with a little bit is you know most, if not every municipality that immediately surrounds us has passed on the ordinance. Uh, which means the individuals that, you know, need that, you know, uh, medicine now have to continue to get it from a caregiver or drive to uh, the closest dispensaries I'm aware of is in Davison. And then, you know, from there you would go to Flint or uh, Detroit or something like that. So um, the, a lot of people that have medical marijuana cards now, uh, some of them are for light chronic pain, and but some of them are, you know, with terminal diseases where getting around, getting to the right aid that's a half mile down the street is, you know, a struggle and the only thing they can do that day. So when you ask them to take an hour round trip to Davison, 20 minutes there, you know, 20 minutes in a shop and 20 minutes back, uh, you know, that literally wipes them out for multiple days on end. So those individuals, we're not giving them any relief. Um, but that is something that I wanted to change and say, you know, all this activity could happen in here. We could be an economic nucleus around the area because nobody else has decided to, you know, take on these ordinances, um, you know, so that we would have that economic activity for the locals to come in. Um, and also, you know, neighboring communities could come in and visit Holly, bring some information or, you know, bring some, uh, you know, not much needed activity in, in the village. On top of that, you know, the current law does not allow any of the municipalities to capture any of that revenue that goes on. Uh, so the new law does cover that where there would be a 3% excise tax on top of the normal sales tax. So we're talking 9% total. Um, so of that 3%, they do break it down where uh, the municipality would get 20% of the 3%. And then it's broken down even further where uh, that money is split up to the county that gets it uh, for their police services, 20% I think goes to MSP, uh, Michigan State Police if, uh, to explain that one, and then 5% I think goes just for updating the uh, technology and some of the MSP uh, Clemens system I think is, is what they're using that for. So all of that 3% is already allocated and it's in the bill. So it's not like, you know, somebody had said before that, oh, it's like the lottery where the money, you know, kind of goes in one hand and comes out the other. It's all smoke and mirrors. This one is not. This is in the bill how the money is to be spent from that 3% excise tax. Is it fair for me to say, Dave, that then uh, you support this for compassionate reasons? In other words, you, you mentioned a terminally ill patient who, who, uh, it would be a hardship on them to have to go somewhere else to to get these services. So there's compassionate reasons for this, as well as a positive economic uh, uh, boost for the village. Is that fair to say? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, I'm I'm definitely on the pro side of it, and I kind of take it from multiple angles. And every way that I look at it, I can't come up with a bad reason. You know, my political beliefs 
Um, I'm, I'm a big opponent of the drug war, where we spent literally over a trillion dollars um, since Nixon enacted the uh, drug war, and then here we are today, where we actually have we spent all this money, and we actually have increased usage amongst all the individuals. So drugs are, you know, on the rise as a whole. Uh, marijuana, uh, being specific in there, is, you know, I truly believe that it is not something that has a detriment on society. And when you go back and even start researching why was marijuana illegal in the first place, and we're talking in the 30s after prohibition was tried, failed, and repealed, you know, they, they needed something to get that passed. And then, you know, marijuana started kind of poking up because of the, you know, immigration that was happening in the country at the time. And then it just started, it turned into, it was made illegal for racist reasons. And that goes back to the reefer madness videos that everybody saw back in high school where, you know, you turn into a psychotic individual and all you want to go out is, you know, go out and try and rape individuals and commit crimes. And it's all this, you know, crazy, crazy ideas. And I, I truly believe that that is not the case. I know plenty of individuals that smoke marijuana for medical reasons, plenty of individuals that smoke it for recreational reasons, and they are some of my best friends. They're business owners in town. They are family members and just individuals off of the street that I know. In taking a lot of this discussion on, I've gotten tons of messages from individuals that say, hey, I'm for this. I can't publicly speak it because I'm a business owner and I don't want any retribution against me or from the negative stigma that still is out there. And so these people are not criminals. And that's the biggest thing is that it's an individual that wants to do that and check out for a few hours. And, you know, instead of having six beers and going to bed, they may smoke a bowl or a joint or something along those lines and, and go to bed. In reality, they're good, law-abiding citizens, excellent family, family individuals, you know, prioritize taking care of work and family as their first things. But you know what? That's their pleasure, and it's none of my business. That's kind of the biggest thing. And so even in a recreational standpoint, I would be pro-marijuana just because it's none of my business what you put in your body. I think that the states that pass that kind of stuff, like New York, where they have a soda ban, you know, anything over X amount of ounces is, you know, deemed illegal. So people just buy two smalls instead of a large. It doesn't, you know, the, the prohibition just flat out does not work. Let's, um, let me, let me ask you this, and, and, and maybe this is an unfair question, but if, if, um, uh, you are in favor of this, as I say, for compassion reasons and for economic reasons, but yeah. I, you know, as I say, I attended the town hall and I certainly, I've had these conversations, uh, on a social level with, with just friends and people that I, I meet, uh, and by virtue of my profession, I've had these conversations with professional people as well. And so, um, what, there are objections and even in the uh, town hall meeting that I attended, there were people who objected to this and I'm sure you've heard these objections. Let's set aside the objections that are based on old mythology and stereotype and all of that. You're setting aside all of those. Are, have you, sure. what are, I'm going to, I guess, ask you to kind of look at this from a different angle. What are the, what you might even consider legitimate objections to, uh, to medical marijuana and specifically for a municipality to allow these facilities? Sure. The one that's uh, most common, and I actually, you know, can agree with it, is it's hard to test somebody, you know, in a roadside, you know, pullover. How do the police know that someone is, you know, currently either high or too high to, to 
to drive. You know, blood alcohol content is easy. We figured that out. That's not a big deal. Uh, but how do we test someone, you know, that's driving impaired? And I, I would certainly agree with that. But I think that the answer to that, too, is also that it's so expensive to do testing on marijuana because it's a Schedule One drug that we simply are not there yet. Um, and even though we have those kinds of laws for drunk driving, it's, it has certainly has not eradicated drunk driving, right? So those individuals are still making those poor decisions, and half of them probably make it home that night because there was no police officer to pull them over. And, and that's part of the sad, you know, things that go on today, and I would agree with that, you know. But some of the other negatives is that, you know, they think that uh, there are people that think that if you have marijuana in your town that you are a dirty town, which is uh, completely false, but... You know, there may be some individuals that are looking for a place to live that they may not want uh, to live in, in a place that has medical marijuana for its patients. That's, I would guess, still the reason that there may be like dry counties in Tennessee and Kentucky and the southern states that, you know, they don't want alcohol in that town. And that's probably fine. That's, you know, voluntary people saying together, we want to live by a certain set of rules, um, you know, and uh, this is the rules that we've enacted. But. Uh, I think in, in town here, one thing to note is Holly in 2008 in that medical marijuana law when it was on the ballot, uh, the village itself overwhelmingly passed it by 72%, and that was in 2008. Uh, the township passed it, uh, it was 66% uh, approval. So there, I believe that the want or the stigma is getting broken down left and right, and there are certainly a few things that need to be ironed out, and I'm fully on board with all that. But I think that the problem, again, is the regulation surrounding it, that we're not allowed to actually do some uh, serious studies by high-end universities that have uh, a lot of credibility. I think that's an excellent point. You mentioned also, I, I, I would imagine uh, the objection, uh, but you called it a dirty town. I think that's you know sort of a perception problem, and people are concerned about their property values. I would imagine you would hear that that concern quite a bit yeah property values is one of the things that came up and so i started looking into that and if you look in the states that have it now you know oregon colorado washington property rates are actually high they're actually going up um and especially in the business portions of it because when they enacted you know those either defunct buildings or open properties because the entrepreneurs do stand to make quite a bit of money off of it the, the properties actually do rise in there, the commercial properties. And then um, when you're talking about individuals that come in, you're talking about the Gen Xers the, you know, and the millennials who are starting to buy houses. They want to live in an open community like that where there is the, you know, the acceptance of you know, medical marijuana and compassion for those users. But they do look at things like that. You've clearly done your homework, Dave. Let, let's take this. Oh, thanks. I appreciate that. Uh, as do I. Let, let me say that. I, I clearly appreciate uh, talking to somebody who is as, as well informed as you. It's great. But let me let, let's take this uh, uh, outside of the state of Michigan in your homework. I, I know you're looking uh, specifically at uh, the village of Holly in the state of Michigan. But what how do those laws in the state of Michigan compare w with other states uh, that you've seen as you kind of investigated this? Are they similar? I guess are they similar laws in all of these states, or do they vary? And if they vary, how so? The um, current state and the individuals I've talked to in the industry with Michigan medical marijuana 
um, that they are all stating that Michigan, as right now, has the best medical marijuana bill in the country. And the reason being uh, that they cite is that it's agnostic. So it's not, you know, corporate welfare for one individual. And that uh, attempted to happen here, I guess, and, you know, we got away from it. There was a few individuals that wanted to uh, have all the dispensaries or the, the safety compliance facilities to buy their, you know, either product or, you know, equipment direct from one individual, which is, you know, crony capitalism. Uh, and I'm 100% against that. And so a lot of those individuals that were in the writing of this bill, um, you know, forced that this had to be completely agnostic of an individual, of an industry, and uh, take all that kind of crony capitalism out of the equation. And um, I, from what I'm understanding, that has happened. Other states do have those kinds of uh, uh, rules in place where somebody was able to lobby and get something in, in their favor. And uh, an example you could use is like when Ohio had a recreational bill up, I think it was probably two years ago now, um, I think it was for their 16 election maybe, that their recreational uh, actually failed. And the reason people are citing that is that it only was going to have three grow houses in the entire state. And if you look up like Nick Lachey from 98 Degrees, this goofball guy who was in a boy band in the mid-90s was one of the lobbyists for this and got it where he was going to have one of those uh, grow houses and dispensaries that you could only get it from one individual. So that's, I mean, that's crony capitalism at its best where, you know, you're forced to buy from one person. There's no market competition. So in the end, the consumer gets, you know, pays high prices and gets low-quality product. If we look at, at uh, Michigan law and, and laws from other states, do they conflict with federal law? Actually, if you're speaking in that term, everything violates federal law right now. Uh, the Schedule One Act, or the Schedule One drug the way it is now, and the Medical Marijuana Act of 1933 or 37, I forget the year, uh, everything is operating under... Uh, you know, breaking the current federal law. What has changed with all of that and why the tide is turning is the uh, something called the Cole Memo, which was put out, I think, in 2010, where one of the deputies of the uh, attorney general up at the federal level said, we are going to leave states alone that enact marijuana by the people. So most of the time, everything is coming up. It's not a bill that government is passing for us. This is all, uh, you know, people-driven uh, event here. So we are uh, having on the ballot. It's passing overwhelmingly in all these states. And so they've said there, we're going to go after individuals where, you know, they're growing on federal land. And they gave us kind of a bullet point list in that poll memo of things that they're going to continue to do. But if you are operating under the state mandated guidelines that they put out, we will not go after that. And the interesting thing now is we have a new attorney general, Jeff Sessions, um, and he is salivating at going after these medical marijuana, recreational marijuana states, but he is barred from using any federal money to do so because of this coal memo. So that's basically what is, uh, you know, has that kind of floodgate dam built up there so Jeff Sessions is unable to go after that. The other nice thing about it is um, he's trying to change that coal memo, but the House of Representatives is blocking him at every turn because they believe the people have spoken and, you know, we need to let it lie. The other part of that is how you believe the Constitution should be interpreted. We have the Tenth Amendment, which is nullification of the states that can nullify a federal law. 
the states are the ones that make up the United States, not the other way around. The supremacy clause is what people use to uh, combat that argument, but that's not even the correct interpretation of that law. Um, so the Tenth Amendment nullification is another form of those. That way, that uh, states are now defying federal law in uh, enacting, you know, which other medical or recreational marijuana. Let's let's segue for a minute. I know I asked you to, to talk to me about medical marijuana, but let's let's talk about legal marijuana or recreational marijuana, just for a couple of minutes. I, you know, when I, again, when I have these conversations, and I had this conversation, uh, frankly, last week uh, with somebody, uh, a professional uh, uh, therapist who told me that medical marijuana is really part of an overall agenda uh, as a step toward all of these places want legal recreational marijuana. And sort of the implication in that is that medical marijuana really is is a, a way to get people used to it and then they're going to come in and all of a sudden recreational marijuana is legal everywhere and i you know there was just in in the way that was sort of described to me there was you know sort of a very uh, conspiratorial tone in that um but I, what, how would you, know, you I, would you how would you respond to to people who might try to make that argument and you know in that kind of a frame of the discussion i would probably see that 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 is, you know, maybe an end game for some individual to have recreational marijuana. But, okay, so let's test it on the people that truly, really do need it as opposed to just some guy that just wants to, you know, smoke a joint, let's say. Um, and those individuals are getting help. Their, their quality of life has increased. And in recreational and in medicinal states, opiate use is down by 20, up to 25% in each of those states. And that's something that is huge in the country right now. We're talking about an opiate epidemic. And so, you know, when Vicodin really kind of came on the scene in the early 90s, doctors weren't sure of the long-term effects of it, so they were passing that stuff out like candy. You know, I would say that in my personal experience, my mother had a serious back injury back then in, in 1990 and forced her to retire. She used to work at a psych hospital down in Northville. Um, and so she had to take a medical retirement because her back, they literally crushed four discs in her back from getting jumped at work by all the mental patients and so she was on the, the cusp of that and uh you know so she was you know right into the the vicodin uh, you know era where people were getting them and you know they would take them and they'd pass out for four or five hours because they can't keep it awake and then they have all those addictive qualities and then you talk about norco and all these other opiates that are literally you know cocaine or heroin without the high it's in our it's in our societies now and and you know opiate is huge and even it's funny kind of funny i just read an article the other day that even dr oz the tv guy is now saying that marijuana is not a gateway drug but an exit drug to get people off of opiates and back into normal life and if you talk to most of the people that are in the medical marijuana community um that they you know are getting individuals who are off of those drugs the guys that have the serious back injuries or chronic pain all the time that they're addicted to these percocet patches and and those kinds of things, and they got on medical marijuana to get away from that because they did not like how they felt. Their individual, their families didn't like how they acted. But you know, on medical marijuana, it's a totally different scenario where you know you're only getting the help when you need it, and you know the rest of the day you can function like a normal human being. I think that's something that even propon uh, opponents of medical marijuana can get behind the I the idea that 
uh, for pain management that that medical marijuana may be a better alternative than opioids. You know, that's a whole other that opioid crisis is. Um, I mean, we're seeing that everywhere we look. We and we're uh, we're attempting to get uh, some people uh, for a future podcast to talk about the opioids because it's a it's just a conversation that needs to happen. But uh, but that that's going to have to be another day. But uh, uh, the recreational marijuana. Just to touch on that real quick. Yeah. Uh, you know, just as an experience, I was doing something for the village called Hope, not Handcuff, and that's where we could have individuals that are you know drug addicts in any form come into the police department and surrender themselves and say, I need some help. And they're not going to be put in handcuffs. They're actually going to get called uh, from an angel uh, that works for Hope Down Handcuffs and get them into a treatment center. And what started at is this whole opioid epidemic. And, uh, you know, police officers that we're talking to, uh, you know, everybody has Narcan in their police cars now and their cruisers. And they administer it, you know, when I was down in Ferndale discussing with those guys about what happened, there was an a officer that said, I Narcan a guy three times in 24 hours. And when you use this Narcan on them, they are literally overdosing in your death, and this is what's supposed to bring them back. And we have this as a normal day job for our officers. So to say that the opioid epidemic doesn't exist, and, you know, I call any of those individuals a liar. It's, uh, you know, I'm familiar with Hope Not Handcuffs. I, I, it, just recently, I went to a... A luncheon that was down in Troy, Michigan. Um, uh, for those of you okay. listening elsewhere, Troy, Michigan is just outside of Detroit, sort of in that general area, southeast Michigan. But I went to a luncheon, and and, and one of the panelists was Judge Davis from the Forty First District Court uh, in Macomb County, and she uh, she talked about Hope Not Handcuffs, and uh, I reached out to them, and uh, actually have been talking to them a little bit about uh, us getting involved to do some work with them. So I think. Uh, you know, it, it, it's a great, I think it's a great program and it's something that we would be really happy to support. And, and so hopefully it's all volunteer too. It's all individuals and that people have either were addicts themselves, uh, family members who, you know, who have lost someone who was an addict. And this is the way I feel we should be going. We should be talking about, you know, drug addiction is a substance abuse treatment, not necessarily a criminal treatment. So we're locking up individuals who just have an addictive personality and they got hooked on the wrong thing. And that's, we're locking them up and ruining their lives over something they need help from, not to be put in a cage. And that's why I brought it to Holly. That was huge. I, I, I could not be happier that I got that program implemented in Holly. Yeah, good for you. Good for you. Let's let's circle back though to, to sure. as I said, it, you know, th- this is a future, uh, definitely a future podcast topic. And uh, and I may be calling on you now to to talk uh, in a few another podcast about about that issue. So stay tuned for Absolutely. that phone call. Absolutely, no, I'm open. Anything. But the uh, but the, the recreational marijuana. Um, sure. Uh, I our, do believe that that's an end game. I, I I have no doubt. Michigan right now, the way it's looking is we will have a recreational marijuana bill on the ballot in 2018 for the people to decide. Uh, there's two groups out now that are gathering signatures. One is called Regulate Marijuana Like Alcohol, and the secondary one is called MI Legalize. Uh, both of those groups are working together, and they've surpassed the 200,000 signatures uh, just a few weeks ago from an update I got from them. And uh, I think they're going for over 300,000 just to make sure that if any are thrown out, we're no big deal. But I think they only require 275,000. Um, but they are super close. I have zero doubt in my mind it will be on the 2018 ballot. 
Give me an argument for legal recreation of marijuana and a legitimate argument against. Um, well, I guess I could go back to the same thing. It's none of my business what do you do in your house on your own time. Um, that's, you know, a victimless crime. It's someone that simply has possession of it and they're taken to jail for it. Uh, I think that's morally wrong. Um, I'm a big opponent of, you know, there must be a victim in order for there to be a crime. The uh, It goes along the same lines that I alluded to earlier about, you know, New York and the soda bans. And then, you know, individuals that want to make their own choices, they should be able to make those choices, but also suffer the consequences of those choices personally. Uh, so, but then an argument against, I really think we should figure out the idea of how we can, um, you know, test individuals that are driving, you know, under the influence and that kind of thing. I don't think it should be in public places. I don't want to be at a park and smell it when I'm playing with my kids, you know, public spaces. But when you look at the places that already have the recreational uh, marijuana, they definitely, you know, there's not a huge widespread complaint. People understand and I think it's more like alcohol. We all have it in our homes. If we drink, uh, we teach our kids from an early age, this is not for you. This is something we hide it away. You know, it's up in a high cupboard so nobody can reach it. You know, some of us put lock it up in, a, in you know, something that the kids can't have access to. But it's a conversation in the household that goes on that we, we discuss and say, hey, you know, when you're an adult, you can make a free choice. And if you choose to drink, you know, you have that personal choice. If you choose not to, great, no problem there either. But I feel like we're kind of moving the conversation that way. You know, I, I, I want to reiterate here. I, I very much appreciate the knowledge and the, and the homework and the research you've done. This has been great. Let me, at, at, at the risk of, of overstepping here, can I sure. uh, have you uh, maybe give out some contact information? If people either here within the state of Michigan, our home state, or uh, people who may uh, be, have an interest in this outside of the state of Michigan, is there a way that they could uh, uh, ask you questions or make some comments about everything that you said or just kind of communicate with you about this issue? Do you have a, uh, a way they can do that? Sure. Uh, you know, I, uh, I have a council Facebook page, uh, so you could probably go in and look for uh, Dave Crookshank uh, dash, you know, Holly Village Council is a way to reach search me. Uh, or if you bring up the village website uh, and go to the council page, my email is, is listed in there. They can email me that way. And then I can even send you uh, my personal email that you could put in like a hyperlink on a notes page if you're interested in that. Um, well, that would be that would be up to you if you're if you're uh, willing to give sure. that out. That's fine. But I think the, uh, the through the Facebook page, I think I've communicated with you through through that uh, village website's a great idea. Uh, yeah, well, I want to. There, that's one of the things I've, I've wanted to do is just outreach to the community. There hasn't been too many council members that uh, do those kinds of things, and that's who I am. That's that's my political basis is just interaction and you know making sure and educating the public and also taking the input. I really want to thank you, Dave. I think the people that listen to this are going to learn an awful lot, and they, you know, they may not agree with everything that you've said, but but they're going to uh, learn something from it for sure. It's logical discussions. I mean, I understand the whole stigma behind it. And, uh, you know, I was, if you would have said 10 years ago, I probably would have said, no, we don't need to, you know, go any further with marijuana just because I have the, you know, the old stigma. But in looking at it and then talking with individuals, and like I said, when I started doing some of their research and reaching out, a lot of people came to me and said, hey, you know what, I'm a, a medical user, I have a card, or hey, I'm a recreational user, or hey, I'm a business owner and I'm involved. Um, we definitely want to, you know, 
dispel those myths. But in reality, usage has not changed in any of those states that have recreational marijuana even. And it's actually trending down. So it's down, you know, like 1% or 2%. So that's kind of in that margin of error. But uh, decidedly, Colorado and Oregon and all those individuals, they've done studies and they update them literally every year. And youth usage and youth perception has been unchanged since the, those bills have passed there. And I'm trying to give that information to the people, but it's really hard to change those preconceived notions. I, and I certainly understand that I'm one that I, you know, I'll change my idea based on facts presented to me. And, you know, sadly, some people are uh, divisive enough for that. Their beliefs are their beliefs, and no matter what you say, they're going to hold those beliefs. Well, I tell you, uh, as long as it's an informed belief, I guess. I mean, that my... Uh, what I'm interested in and what's important to me is that people have the facts and then they can make yeah. a decision based on that. And I think there's a, a lot of times these uh, uh, these opinions are based on, as I said, old mythology and stereotypes and not necessarily facts. And what you've done for us today is provided some facts and that's going to help people make a more informed decision. So I want to thank you again. Uh, I've kept you on here longer than, uh, than maybe you wanted to, but I this has been a great conversation no, for me, pleasure. and uh, I appreciate certainly it. Certainly my pleasure. I appreciate you having me on, Jim. I, I, I definitely do. You know, I'm always open to talking in any topic. I'm, I'm one of those guys that, you know, I, no topic is unturned in my mind. Thanks for listening to this episode of the ADE Spotlight Podcast. If you would like to be a guest on one of our podcasts, or if you have an idea for a topic you'd like us to cover, please uh, feel free to drop us a line. We'd love to hear your suggestions. If you haven't done so already, I encourage you to check out ADE Solutions, a new website from ADE. There you will find a variety of quizzes and assessments covering a whole range of behavioral health related topics, including substance use, gambling, mental health disorders, eating disorders, and the like. If you have concerns about yourself or a loved one in these areas, uh, please uh, access the website and check out the assessments. Or if you simply want to expand your knowledge on these topics, on the education tab on that website, we have a variety of quizzes uh, as well as other podcasts similar to the one that you just listened to. You can find that at www.ade.solutions. Or you can link to it from our corporate website, www.adeincorp.com.